Well, I invite you to turn uh, to uh, page 5 in, in your bulletins. You'll find our sermon text uh, printed there. Again, my name is John McCombs. I'm one of the assistant pastors at City Reform. And you'll see also there's an outline with some additional scriptures. Just one single sheet of uh, paper in there. So an outline for those of you who like that or like to take notes. And uh, some additional scriptures on the back that will be referenced uh, throughout the course of the sermon. As is our custom in the evening service, I'll read the text and I'm going to read the entire text. And uh, when I finish, I'll say this is the word of the Lord if you could respond with thanks be to God. So here now, the word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 10. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, Livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds. 
and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. This is the word of the Lord. Has anyone in here ever been to Egypt? Okay, that's two of us. That's two of us. Gary, did you get to go to the pyramids? Okay, that's two of us. So, the rest of us have just seen these on TV. Great pyramids, right? Or maybe in a National Geographic magazine you saw a documentary, you saw something. Surely you know what they are. Hopefully I didn't just insult anyone's intelligence. I think everybody knows what the Great Pyramids are. I mean, they're, they're, they're a pretty big deal, right? They're the oldest of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And they're the only one that's largely intact. And by all earthly standards, they're a mathematical and an architectural and a construction wonder. Uh, They estimate today it took about 10 to 20 years uh, to build just the largest pyramid alone, the Great Pyramid at Giza. And that one is about 480 feet tall. It's pretty tall. Uh, And that record of 480 feet stood for, uh, let's see, 3,800 years. From the time it was built for the next 3,800 years, there was nothing taller in the world It's about 750 feet long, that largest pyramid, and the ratio of the perimeter to the height is pi to within 0.05% accuracy. The sides are accurate to within two inches, and each one of them points in a cardinal direction. The base, of course, is horizontal. It's flat to within one inch all the way around. And they estimate there are about 2.3 million blocks equaling around 5.9 million tons. So if it did take 20 years, that means they moved about 800 tons per day. If it took 10 years, that means they moved 1,600 tons per day. We know a lot about the pyramids. Maybe you didn't know all those things. Uh, The pharaoh who we believe commissioned them, Pharaoh Khufu, he created them as a tomb. He created them as his All that work, 10 to 20 years, 5.9 million tons of stone. These are big stones, all for his tomb, all for 
himself, all for the place for which he would be buried. Let's hold that thought. Let's hold that thought of this mathematical and architectural and constructional wonder uh, that is all of those things that Pharaoh made for himself. And let's take a look at our text here in Genesis chapter 1 and just into chapter 2. As we read Genesis chapter 1, these opening few verses are so significant for the story of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. If you uh, got to come to my ordination about a year and a half ago, I have to tell you that my pastor told a non-truth there when he preached he said that's our favorite verse in the Bible. Like the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Anybody remember why he said that? Because we were both helicopter pilots, right? So the hovering, right? See, and it wasn't exactly true. We hadn't talked about that, but I heard him say the joke before, so it was nice to hear it again. So here are these famous words. Have you made the connection with the author of the Gospel of John and how he starts his Gospel? Listen now, as we've heard Genesis 1, 1 and 2, twice already. In the beginning, now I'm reading John chapter 1, saying three words, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And of course, that capital W tips us off a little bit. If we jump down to verse 14 in John, we read, and the Word became flesh, and made his dwelling or tabernacle among us. So it's talking about Jesus. So we go back again, we read Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But I think it's safe to say that Christ is the agent of creation. It's Trinitarian, no doubt, but it's Christ's words speaking these things into existence. So the earth is without form and void, and darkness is over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. The text just starts off, God is assumed. It doesn't go to any length at all to try and prove that he exists. It's just in the beginning. So when, whenever time started, whenever this was, there's, I'm sure, a host of opinions in this room. Whenever that was, God existed before that. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from all eternity. And now this is the time at which the world as we know it came into existence. This is the time at which the creation was created, and it was created by Christ. And when God first made it, when Christ first speaks, the picture is it's without form and void, and there's darkness over it. Uh, so it's just all this stuff, everything. God first creates everything that he'll use right, to make everything else out of. And it's just there in a big ball. It's in a big mass. And that God is working. Yeah, the Spirit is sustaining it. It's kind of a picture and holding it together. Perhaps it's a picture of anticipation. It's this Trinitarian picture of awaiting and delighting in, in creation there. Our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yet things are chaotic, but our God is a God of order. So He's going to take that mass. All this, right? Everything without form and void, no shape, no substance, and he's going to shape it for his purposes. And God, of course, creates different than we do. This Pharaoh, who had 2.3 million stones, he used pre-existing materials. 
He didn't create out of nothing. But God did create out of nothing. And as the creation account continues, we see Christ, this agent of God's creation, very God himself. And the first thing he does is he gives light to the darkness and he orders God's creation. It's as if he starts with his own very nature. See, if we read in the book of Revelation chapter 22, verse 5, we'll read of a day when there's no more sun, no more, no more moon, none of those things. They're not needed. Why? Because God himself, Jesus the Lamb, is the light of all things. So he starts with his very creation in verse 3, and, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God moves on, and he creates air, and he creates land, and he creates seas, and he is ordering the, the, the creation to sustain life. And every time he speaks, everything he says takes place. And everything follows his command to the T. Everything is fulfilling the purpose for which he created it. Everything is manifesting the glory of God. Christ is giving light to the darkness and ordering God's creation. What excitement. I mean, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, and it's hard to even find words to explain it. Uh, it's not like God was impatient or couldn't wait to do this very thing, but they had waited for an eternity past to bring the world into existence, and now the time finally comes, and so they're Christ is creating, he is making all things for the very first time. And he's ordering this creation in order to make it ready to receive life. And so as we continue on in verses 11 through 25, we see Christ filling God's creation in order to prepare it not just for life, but specifically for human habitation. And so we see vegetation springing forth. We see more lights to govern the day and the night. We see fish. We see birds. We see animals. All following his command. All filling the earth in order to sustain man. All fulfilling the purpose for which God sent them. All manifesting his glory. And it was two years ago now that a senior at Trinity Christian School wrote a soundtrack to Genesis 1. She wrote a soundtrack. To Genesis 1. And she tried to take what was going on here and kind of put it to music. And it was a symphony and it was a beautiful symphony. And she did a wonderful job. But oh, the way Christ directed this symphony, this symphony of creation with all the right notes at all the right time and everyone on the same page and doing everything exactly the way it needed to be done in order to sustain God's creation. Have you ever stopped just to consider? For those of you into apologetics, you probably maybe have studied a little bit the fine-tuning argument where if how many different variables are off by just a tiny amount, there's no life on this planet. Right? I mean, it, 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 there's no way it's an accident that you know, all this stuff just came together, boom, and now there's life. I mean, there are so many variables that have to be so finely tuned in order to sustain life. Right? Life for us. Right, have you ever pondered God's glory in creation in that way? The way he can create, the way no one or nothing else can create out of nothing by the word of his power just speaking, and it's perfect. It's perfect. So he orders his creation. He readies it to receive life. 
And now it's ready to receive man himself. After God has made everything else in the first five and a half days, he, he'll make something a little different. He'll make something a little different than everything else he had made. You see, next, Jesus will make man in God's image. We dive back into our text, verse 26a and then 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And skipping down, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Verse 26 starts off with the let us. And you can't get the Trinity from Genesis 1. I mean, you can get plurality, and you see God, and you see the Spirit, but you can't get God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But of course, we know from the entire Bible that all three persons of the Trinity were intimately involved in the creation. And so they've been having this conversation for eternity past, and now they say, all right, now's the time. Let us make man, that they make man, and they make him different than everything else. Let us make man in our image. The famed Imago Dei. We were made different than everything that came before. We were made to have true knowledge. We were made to have true holiness. We were made to have true righteousness. As we looked a few weeks ago now uh, at the sum of the creation account, and we looked at Adam and he was naming the animals, right? And he was giving them names, right? Horse, jaguar. I mean, it wasn't English. Come on, we know that. Um, and it's always fun to get around seminary professors and watch them argue which language that was in. Um, uh, um, Adam wasn't just taking a stab in the dark. He wasn't just making stuff up. It, it wasn't the way sometimes we just name things. I mean, you know, when when we have children, like we, we, we can't see the end from it. We do our best to give them good and godly names and then we raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We don't like, we don't, you know, this child's going to be a Theo. Right? Well, he is a Theo, but what's a, you know, the name, what does Theo mean and is he going to be like that? You know, we can't see that, but when Adam was giving names to the animals, he was doing that with knowledge, right? true knowledge. The kind of knowledge that God possessed because Adam was made to image that kind of knowledge. Now, he didn't know everything, but he was learning it. He had true knowledge from God. He could speak true words from God with no falsity in them. And therefore, he was a prophet in the truest sense. He was made to have true knowledge. He was made to speak that as a prophet. He was also made to be holy. He had true holiness. He was set apart. He was set apart for a purpose. He was called to be different than everything that came before him. And in a sense, in that sense, he was a true priest. He was set apart for the work of God. And lastly, he had true righteousness. That is, he could do right things. He could act justly. He could do that in a way that imaged the one true God. He could rule over things appropriately. The way God would rule over things. Adam was created with all of that ability, Adam and Eve. And in that way, they were kings. They were kings. 
And they were queens. They were meant to image God, that is, to spread His glory all over the earth. So that when people saw them, they saw God. When people saw them, it's like they could see the true character and nature of God in them. Now, for those of us who have young children, we know oftentimes our children act like us, don't we? And sometimes that's in good ways. But sometimes after the children go to sleep at night, you have to look at each other and say, I can't believe what they said at the dinner table. Which one of us did they get that from, right? Because it happens. Your children will say things because they'll parrot you, they'll act like you, they'll image you in many ways, both good and bad. But these first parents were meant to image God in true knowledge and true righteousness and true holiness all the time. They were created to be his very image on earth. And one of the primary ways they were created to image him was in exercising dominion. Our text moves on in verse 26b and 28 through 30. 26b, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And verse 28 through 30 now. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. So, see, man was created to have dominion over these things, to rule over them. Jesus Christ not only made all of these things, and made men and women as the crown glory of his creation, but then he entrusts the creation to them. It's as if he, he, he gives it to them to rule in his stead, in that knowledge, in that wisdom, in that holiness, in that righteousness. He blesses them. He tells them to be fruitful and multiply. Be kings and queens on the earth. And rule this in a way that brings glory to God. It's as if Pharaoh built the pyramids all by himself with no help from anybody else. And then he gave them away. And then he said, I want you, my servants, to take care of them and enjoy them. It's the total opposite. But that's not how God works. And that's not how he is. That's what we would expect from Pharaoh. But no, God creates all of these things out of nothing by the word of his power. He entrusts the creation to his uh, highest uh, crown uh, and joy in creation. Christ entrusts the creation to man. And here we sit today. We all know what happens two chapters later. We all know the way we don't take care of God's creation. The way we don't exercise dominion properly. The way we don't act righteously. Uh, the way we don't speak what is true and 
uh, and thereby don't function as true prophets of God. The way we don't function as priests in being set apart and acting as if we are set apart. You see, God created all these things through Christ and entrusted them to man. When we have children, and they just keep fighting with a toy, and they won't stop fighting with it, what do we do with that toy? We take that toy away. We're not going to have those fights anymore. We're not going to keep fighting over this same toy. We're going to solve that problem. We're going to take that toy away. God in His mercy and His grace and His love not only created all these things out of His grace and mercy and love and trust them to us, but when we don't use them as He sees fit, what did He do then? Well, Christ, the very one who created them in the first place, took on human flesh. He became man. He became the true prophet, priest, and king. He exercised proper dominion and authority over all things, and he did it in our place. He did that for us. He's restoring the creation. He's making all things new, as we sang about earlier. This is grace. And we are part of those all things that God is making new. In Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 24, we, we see Paul's command to put on the new self, right? created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And we see him say virtually the same thing in Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. And we see God made us the first time in the image of God, and our sin broke that image, it marred that image, it shattered that image, but Christ has come again to restore that image, to make all things new. And that's what he's doing. He's done all this for man. And we believe these things by faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. How are we going to respond to what God has done? His works in creation and his works in redemption. We owe our very lives to this one. And he has, uh, in spite of our betrayal, offered us new life in offered us the ability to turn and repent and receive forgiveness and life anew. Will we continue on a trajectory where we're wrecking our own lives and the creation and the world around us and disrespecting what God has made and not using the very breath he's given us to praise him? Or will we call out for mercy? Will we call out for grace, which is so abundant in the Lord Jesus Christ? This should be our response to God's grace. Let's look back at God's response now to this creation, his creative acts in Genesis chapter 1. You see verses 31 and then chapter 2 verse 1 finished off this way. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. When God had made all these things, he saw them as very good. 
And one day they'll be even gooder than that. They'll be that good again and then some. Day one, good. Day two, good. Day three, good. Day four, good. Day five, good. Day six, halfway good. Then he makes men and women. And when he's done with his creative acts, it's all very good. I know the real men among you in the crowd have put together a piece of Ikea furniture before. Perhaps the real women too. That's the way we build furniture these days. So we, don't, we don't go out and cut trees and, as urbanites. And, uh, and like, well, maybe Kyle over there. Kyle's got a big beard and he works on floors for a living. Uh, you don't go out and cut trees and let that wood sit for a couple years and let it season appropriately, right? And then you start cutting it and then you, and then you plane it, right? And you sand it and you form it. Well, that's not how we build furniture anymore. What do we do? We get a hex set. Right? We get that... 60 page of instructions and we start working and it says it only takes a half hour and that one person can do it all by themselves and you have to call your wife halfway through four hours into it saying I can't figure this out but you make little progress along the way right you get the first step done you're like, hey that's good right I can see you know you get the next good right and when you get it all done finally like, hey that's very good well you probably don't want to move that piece of furniture you're not going to take it with you it's not going to last forever but it's nice it functions it works right we understand this creating something with our hands and that end product being good. God saw all this as very good. He declared it good. It's good because God made it, because God himself is good. Because he's good, everything he makes is good. And because it's good and because God made it, that means it's good for us too. You see, God's good is also man's good, Romans 8.20, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. So in light of God's creative works, in light of God's redemption, in spite of our failing to do what we should with our creative works, how are we to respond other than to praise Him, to give Him glory for what He has done It's a good creation. God made it. And it's not the way it should be now. But he made it. And he's given it to us to take care of. The heavens still declare the glory of God. The sky above shows forth his handiwork. Will you? Will you declare the glory of God this day? Will you show his handiwork in your life? Will you proclaim the mighty deeds of God? There are angels in heaven doing it right now. There are elders who are longing for others to join them. We read about this in Revelation chapter 4. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed. And we're created. Worthy is God to receive glory and honor and power simply because He created all things. If He never did anything else for us, and oh my goodness, has He done so much for us, He's worthy of praise just for that alone. It's incredible to think about, isn't it? How the God of the universe could create all things by the word of His power in the space of six days and all very good. And no matter how you understand those days, uh, if, if you are faithful in your understanding of the Scriptures, whether you believe it happened in six days or not, certainly you say it could have happened in six days. 
It didn't have to take 20 years like Pharaoh to build the pyramids. God can do it as fast as he wanted. He can just say the word. And then you know what else he can do? He can give it away. He can entrust it to men and women like us. And when we fail, he can come in the person of Jesus Christ so that he might restore us and entrust it to us once again. What a good God this is. What a gracious God, what a merciful God, what a powerful God, what a God worthy of all our praise. What a God who is so different than the rulers of this world. So different at times even than ourselves. Yet he's our hope. He's our salvation. We're being renewed in him after his very image. Will you sing praises to him with me now? Let's pray and then let's sing some praises to the Lord.